So I've been saying for years that in some ways we have the the whole broken glass at the end of the wedding ceremony, which has become so ubiquitous, not only in the Jewish world, but others have adopted the practice of breaking a glass at the end of a wedding and screaming, Mazal Tov, Mazal Tov, broken glass, Mazal Tov. And in fact, if you've ever been in a restaurant with a Jewish relative or you know, anyone who might embarrass you, you can very quickly see the face of you know, your face turn red when... A waiter accidentally drops a glass, and all of a sudden, all the Jews around go, Mazel Tov! Mazel Tov! Mazel Tov! We say Mazel Tov when things break. At the end of a wedding ceremony where lovers have met one another, and everything in them is saying, do I really have to remember the temple, which is the original reason for breaking the glass, because a couple of centuries after the Jewish 9-11, which happened in 70 of the Common Era, where our our sacred center was destroyed. Those who were living at a distance from that destruction, both geographically and temporally, in time and in space, they felt that it wasn't possible to fully celebrate when someone was suffering or our people were suffering without remembering the suffering of our people. Right? In that, they were invoking psalms where the psalmist says, If I forget thee, Jerusalem, let me forget my my right hand. We never forget Jerusalem and the destruction. And so a couple of centuries after the destruction of the temple, it was instituted that every wedding ceremony, they would break a valuable object. Imagine that. Like, you know, you're at some amazing moment, just graduated high school or college, and everybody's like, don't be too happy because a couple hundred years ago, so where's that good china, right? Where's my best china? Let me throw it on the ground. And I can imagine for some wedding couples, many of which I've sat with who say, you know, do I really have to break this glass at the end of the wedding ceremony? Is it, you know, do I have to remember Jerusalem? I mean, honestly, isn't that Jewish guilt? Isn't that just a way to minimize the pleasure of being alive? Do I have to like put away some, like, I can't get too happy because the, the shoe's going to drop or the, the glass is going to break. And what I say to them is this. I say that, no, no, you don't understand. The breaking of the glass has historical roots. It has beginnings that are rooted in a context and a place and a time for a reason, but it's deeper than that. No, 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 it's much deeper than that. You see, we break a glass at the end of a wedding ceremony because everything in this life that is born must first break through something. Everything in this life that we think is perfect must first let go of its perfectness. Everything in this life, if we were Buddhists, would say everything is suffering. Not that everything is sad and that everything is bad, but life is suffering, said the Buddha. It is dukkha. It is pain and dissatisfaction. So here you are under the womb, I meant chopa, and this new gestation this child has been created by the seven circles of the umbilical cord representing the seven days of creation. Partners have made a covenant to be a new entity together. And what better way to be born than to break the waters, as it were, of perfection. The 
the container of perfection. I don't know if any of you have had this, but I, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was my dad or somebody else in my life, that whenever we sat down to eat a meal and we had guests around who might be uncomfortable or awkward at the, at the dinner table, someone would spill wine on purpose onto, you ever had that? they just spill wine onto the tablecloth. So let, let me relax everybody. There's going to be stains. Let me relax every wedding couple. There are going to be things that break. Let me relax, you know, each and every one of us that thinks that we get out of here without a nick. Unless you've realized it at this point. I don't know if anybody, young people, we have some young people, like you guys have realized at this point that as happy as life is, right, pain and pleasure come together. The things that we enjoy and the things that, that bring the lack of pleasure. So, of course, there's no greater example of this than in this week's Torah portion, right? The wisdom of our weekly advice column, which is Torah, our weekly stories that inform our life, stories to build on, stories to live by, stories to embody and to embrace and then to remember, especially when we need to remember them. The story this week, of course, is the golden calf. Of course, it's the golden calf. The story of a people at the pinnacle of revelation, the people who've made it, the people who have, right, who are there, they see God, as it were, in the tradition. You can't get a bigger moment in our tradition, right? Let's see, what would be an analog, right? You won the lottery, or like you met the girl of your dreams, the boy of your dreams, the lover of your dreams, you got the dream job, you hit the jackpot, whatever it would be, Mount Sinai is a stand-in for you know, whatever your Mount Sinai is, it's I was there. Oh, I was there. And then I fell. Right? Then I fell. Then something happened. There was an interruption. There was a breaking. There was a rupture. Maybe after the rapture, there was rupture. After visiting with God, there was a fall from grace, and they build a golden calf. And in the wake of the golden calf, Moses, who had been up on Mount Sinai, for those of you who remember this story, he sees the golden calf and he throws the ten dvarim, the ten precepts, the ten commandments. He shatters them. And this becomes the most cataclysmic breaking of the glass in Jewish history. This is the great breaking, the great fall, the great fragmentation, the great chaos after order, the great disappointment, the great frustration, the absolute lowest place. And according to many of our commentators, according to many of our sources, the tabernacle, the portable shul, the portable worship center in the desert was a gift to the Jewish people after the breaking of the tablets and the destruction that came with the golden calf. And that is instructive. Because as I remind each and every one of you and me every day, breaking will happen. But what we build after that breaking is really the question. There's no doubt that the most difficult spiritual practice each and every one of us can engage in at any given moment is how we hold fragmentation, how we hold 
disappointment, confusion, how we hold destruction, hurban, how we hold ourselves and one another in the face of enormous fear, of anxiety, of not knowing, of uncertainty. Those are the spiritual practices that each and every one of us are called to do in light of this breaking, of this we don't know what is being born next moment. And so, here we are. And in so many ways, it's not different than what we have to do every day, which is live with uncertainty. Now uncertainty is exponentially greater. Now the, the fear that generates selfish behavior is exponentially greater. Now everything in us on a natural level might say, oh, I'm going to go clear off the shelf, survival first. It's all happening. And this is where our spiritual practices and our, and our stories, our stories of heroes and sheroes, of men, women, and humans who rise above what is expected in the moment, who shine, as Barry said, as Bear said, on the wind of transcendence, we're able to be self-transcending for the sake of other. Who make difficult decisions for the sake of self and other. We are called in this moment of chaos and breaking to remember that this is where our rubber meets the road. This is the moment where in deep fear and panic, we take a deep breath and we settle ourselves. In moments of activation and triggering, we say, okay. When we reactivate our prayer life and our, our focus on what really matters now. Everything in us at moments like this wants to cocoon. Everything in us wants to pull in. Or maybe everything in us wants to reach out. And in this moment, we have to find the spiritual practice that says, I must center first. I must reconstruct first. I must remember that in moments of breakage, in moments of chaos, something is being born. Something is emerging. And that I am called at this moment to hold that. The story of the golden calf is really remarkable. If you read it, and I invite all of you to read that story of the golden calf, because not only does it talk about the eventual breaking of the tablets, it also begins with a lack of leadership. A lack of leadership that leads the people to take matters into their own hands. And so I just want to invite all of you as leaders in this community and in your homes and wherever you are to remember this is it right now. As Alan Lou said, this is real and you are completely unprepared. And guess what? That's life. It's happening now. There's nothing stopping you and me and all of us here from maintaining our center. We're going to be pulled. Like the Ash Kodesh, Columbus, Kalman Shapira in the Warsaw Ghetto was being pulled. Like hundreds and hundreds of men and women and humans in the annals of human civilization who have been in far darker moments than this one who found the spiritual center that was being asked to come forth from them. You have it. 
All of us have it. This Shabbos is the Shabbos of Kitisa, of lifting your head. No matter how dark it gets, please, everyone, find hope. Remember something is being born and be a leader. We're going to get through this together. Of that, I am absolutely sure. But how we get through it together is important. May the source of life give us the strength to remember, especially in moments of uncertainty, that the light, though far away, is on the way. Help us to be those who practice now, in this moment, for the sake of the Shekhinah, for the sake of the Divine Presence, and for the sake of all sentient beings. Amen. Amen. Please rise, if you are able. Thank you.